Wait, are you talking about She-Hulk? Yeah. Isn't it by the time this goes up, won't it have been isn't it gonna be live? Okay. If you guys don't think there are any like major spoilers or something that people would be pissed about, then we can just do spoilers or we can go right into spoilers. Yeah, I think we're safe. I don't think it's anything crazy after the first episode. Okay. What's the post credit scene? Post credit scene is of episode one is <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Welcome to episode 14 of Podcast X. I am your host, Ben Kendrick. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hi, I'm uh, surviving on lots of caffeine right now. Yeah, you were just flying airplanes. Yeah, I squished my brain a little, those (laughs) (laughs) G-forces. And we are joined by special guest, Kofi Outlaw. Howdy. Um, So this week, we are going to predominantly preview slash review the first episode of She-Hulk. So if you're really sensitive to spoilers for She-Hulk, you know, come back to this after you've after you've watched the episode. But or just take the requisite 30 minutes, hit Disney Plus and question why you clicked on this in the first place. Yeah. What were (laughs) you doing with yourself? But uh, I haven't seen it yet because we're recording this before embargoes up. These two guys have. So we are going to be talking spoilers, like I said, but they've sort of assured me that there isn't a lot in the episode that people would consider like super spoilery or anything. There's no big twists and nothing like that. I love how you fucking are hanging us out to dry already. So if this goes (laughs) sideways, I don't think I don't notice what you're doing. Like if this goes sideways, you'd be like, well, they are like, look, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Nice. Uh, Nice work. It's totally true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like predominantly it's just sort of setting up this this story and everything. And a lot of the stuff that we've seen is in the trailer. So, um, you know, if you're not super sensitive and you're curious what we think and you want to listen to the podcast first, great. Otherwise, come back once you've uh, once you've watched the episode. And then after that, we will do kind of our lightning round where we talk about some of the shows that we've been checking out, two shows and movies that we've been checking out this past week. We're going to talk um kofi and i are going to talk westworld season four finale um he's going to talk better call saul finale rob's going to talk day shift and then rob and i are going to talk uh for all mankind if there's any if there's any time to do that um so let's just kick it off with she hulk um which of you guys want to start by giving your impressions first uh kofi why don't you lead us off Oh, sorry. I was continuing to watch Day Shift, starring Amy <laughs> on uh, Netflix. I got uh, sucked into this. Um, yeah, so uh, She-Hawk changing gears. That's what we're talking. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, we're going first. Um, so, yeah, I got to preview the first four episodes. I'm just going to talk, of course. We're only going to be talking in full details about the first episode because it's going live in just a couple hours from when we're recording this. Um, but my overall impression is that she-Hulk is very much kind of, and I tweeted this out a couple days ago when the embar- when the reaction embargo lifted, but it's very much a Marvel TV show that feels like a traditional TV show in the sense of being almost like a weekly comedic procedural, um, as you would expect from a show called 
She-Hawk attorney at law. And it's very much Ally McBeal-ish, but with a Marvel twist and a Marvel central character uh, played by Tatiana Maslany, who we knew from our old podcast because of her excellent work on Orphan Black, which is something, you know, we would, we didn't go deep on that, but we would always kind of highlight how good that show was, and, you know, how good yeah. she was in it, playing like 84 different clone versions <laughs> of herself. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very much just fun. Like, I know we said that we've said that a lot, like about Hawkeye or Miss Marvel and stuff, but it's just fun in a different sense. And like, guys, there's nothing really to be like, really. I mean, some, so I know some, some men out there have been kind of hurt. Oh, now we got to spend time with a girl Hulk. Everything's becoming girls in phase four. Goyles, as my son would say. <laughs> Goyles. Um, yeah. Uh, but like, she Hulk has, and I never understand this about pop when comic books hit popular meet like mainstream media, but she Hulk's been around as long as any fucking Marvel character. And she definitely has carved out her own kind of brand in the Marvel comics universe. She is this character who is very much a power player when they need her to be. She can be very critical to, into storylines and, as even a MacGuffin sometimes is just this kind of powerhouse person that she is. Um, she's very <clears throat> kind of irreverent and has an almost Deadpool meta quality, breaking the fourth wall and doing that kind of stuff in her kind of two thousands incarnations with some wonderful creators. And she also has this unique ability to be this kind of weird junction point for so much of the Marvel universe which comes through her either because she's like doing stuff with the Avengers or <clears throat> just working as an attorney and having to get into different court cases involving superpowered peoples. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the show understands all this It's made by the people who have also been influential in, you know, She-Hulk comics, or at least understand those comics really well and have genuine love for them. And they've just taken all that and basically put it onto the screen so you you can argue about this show all you want, but it is a faithful recreation of what the She-Hulk comics are, and it and it nails pretty much all the the you know the parts that make up the sum, right? Like Tatiana Maslany is a great character actress, and the way she plays Jennifer Walters as a kind of smart, capable, and and kind of self aware woman who understands in, in the first episode is really good about the whole point of the first episode is saying, look, a She-Hulk is not the same thing as a Hulk. Like, and here's why when you really get down to it. And it's actually a really good She-Hulk kind of character declaration about like, here's this character and here's why she's different. Like being a woman and the whole metaphor of, of what Hulk is like uncontrolled repressed anger and all that, like, it's so different for a woman because the world is different for women and how they process anger. There's great lines. It's well, though it's real well written dialogue and snappy. Like, her whole sequence with Bruce and doing the initial test is hilarious. And just the things she says, like, you know, I have to control my anger all day, or I, you know, or I could get <laughs> killed, you know, stuff like that. And like, is, you know, makes a great point about why this character's powers function different. Why doesn't Jen disappear when she hulks out and become this other alternative persona? Because women, unlike men in a very true sense, like 
don't have to, they process the totality of their emotions where instead of us like trying to compartmentalize and doing all that crazy stuff and, and all of that rings true. None of it's offensive. It's not anti-man. It's just pointing out things about a female character and she Hulk and Hulk are great rare example of, yeah, here is two gender, gender separated versions of essentially the same kind of character, right? Uh, you don't get that very often in the Marvel universe. Well, maybe you do. Maybe I'm totally lying. <laughs> fucking Daredevil and Elektra, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman. You know, yeah, I'm totally fucking lying. Never mind. <laughs> Female Wolverine, like, yeah, Annie. Bro- yeah, I'm totally lying. Never mind. Comics do this all the time. We should be more chill about it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the show does a good job of understanding that in a modern context. And like I said, it's good. It, it This show, and even the supporting cast are at least funny. Everybody's quippy. It's a very kind of like kind of bantery show. Every scene kind of pops with banter. <clears throat> and even the creepy guy from Arrow is awesome in this as like a, a more wholesome character. Who yeah, the guy who played Adrian Chase, uh, I forget what his oh, villain man. name was. Um yeah, the crazy the, one of the best villains in Arrow besides Deathstroke. Uh yeah, the serial killer dude. But anyway, like so Prometheus I think his name was. Um but uh yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and so She-Hulk is just something I said, like, I would watch. This is not like one of those Marvel event things. Like, I'm watching these Disney Plus series and be like, well, I just got to get through this block. And it's like one movie. This is not a fucking one movie. This is an episodic TV series. And they could do this for years to come. And I would watch it for years to come. And I'm not going to get into spoilers. But, I mean, the first episode is very centric on Jennifer Walters and, you know, Bruce Banner. And so I guess there is a kind of cameo. And they even showed this in a trailer where she jokes about, is this a cameo of the week? It's not going to be a cameo of the week show. And then she starts counting off all the cameos like you're <laughs> in the show. And like, oh, shit. Um, yeah. But um, the first one is about her and Bruce. But as you go on in the series, they really do nail how to use She-Hulk as a kind of, like I said, a junction point for so many different things in the MCU. Uh, and by the first four episodes, where they're willing to go with that is pretty bold. It might be too out there for some people to mix like a legal procedural with some of the things they're going to do with, you know, the fantastical Marvel stuff. But for me, it works. And by the end of those four episodes, there's several things I can't wait for social media to see and that are just so funny and weird. Like this show is willing to get weird with like even major Marvel characters and lore and, and just like what their developments are. And it's, and it's, and it all is kind of like, like I said, it's weird, but it also is harmless. It's not, it feels irreverent and funny. And so, yeah, I think they nailed it. And this is probably my favorite Marvel. I think I'm going to go out there and say it is my favorite Marvel Disney plus series so far. Cause it's just, yeah, buddy. I think it's going to be week to week, just entertainment and not super serious. Like, Oh, we got to see how this dude gets in this new suit type shit. It's just like enjoyment and I like what they've done. So I'm behind nice. She-Hulk, man. And not for any kind of weird socio nuts reason. It's just a good show. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just because you and I have talked previously that Tatiana Maslany continuously like challenges like our, like our, like our sexual, like kind of like kinks or whatever. Right. With the clones, we were looking at it and we were like, which are the clones? We talked about this yeah, before. You right? really need to speed up the explanation of that. But yes, yes, I know. I'm back on like what you were saying. Yes. No, you're right. Um, no, we did. What Ben is trying to describe is on our old podcast. 
Orphan Black became like this weird litmus test of like, what kind of woman are you into and why? And like, because yeah. the clones were the same woman, but like in these different personas, we would all each identify with like different ones that we liked. And like, yeah. it was just like, wow. Like, and sometimes we were just like, huh, you know, I don't know why I like this one. <laughs> like, it just yeah. kind of was a weird psychological test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now yeah. we're looking at it and it's like, you know, like big, like green, tough chip. Like, was it? <laughs> I mean, I know, but the show leans into that too. Like, I know there's uh, even trailers. There is like a whole thing about dating and funny things and her carrying the dude and stuff. And that all comes into play. And it is, it's funny. Like, and, and she Hawk could get it. I mean, like she Hawk's not bad looking. (laughs) Um, well, so Rob Keys, uh, oh, we had a whole thread. Oh, let's never mention the jokes we made before all this. Like, we had the horrible jokes <laughs> we were making about what fanboys are going to be. Or, no, we we're talking about Disney screeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what happened with some of the probably the journalists were getting Disney screeners and having just alone time with She Hulk. <laughs> but Disney's probably like watching you, like, hey, 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 save it for the broad, save it for the live stream, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to use the screeners for this purpose yeah yes um oh god that was such a funny yeah that was such a funny text jay because like kofi and i were just on the same page about this like ridiculous scenario of yeah anyway all right so (laughs) rob keys Keys told me earlier before we came on the podcast that he's offended by this show and has been review bombing it on imdb rotten tomatoes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no I think I see I, one of your reviews on uh, on Google right not now. Not because of it. He's just he's just pissed about the VFX levels. He's very critical yeah. of that. Oh yes, uh, that's what it is. Um, uh, she Hulk is weightless CGI design. The balance isn't quite there yet. For every joke that hits, another one misses. One star. <laughs> uh, so for anyone who's interested in the truth, they can read my Twitter thoughts on this show. I'm glad Kofi's here. I, I feel like Kofi, this is more fresh in your mind. I saw this like. Uh, I forget just before the junket, so two weeks ago, and, and given the last week, I've kind of forgotten a lot of the details. Even like the post credit scene of the first episode, I got them out of order. But everything Kofi said is on the mark. This is um, such a great follow up to Miss Marvel, which to me was like the highest quality uh, Disney Plus show. I, I always, you know, not so much VFX, but just like the production design of these shows, I always have issues with some of the character arcs I have issues with. And and Miss Marvel, I think we agreed like had like, such great, amazing characters and a great finish, and they, you know they they kind of dropped the ball on the lore and, and part of it. This show is so different, but it, it has some of the same highs in terms of like a very unique style, an amazing new lead with an amazing new introduction with an amazing supporting cast. And to, you know, me, I have not, I was not, I never watched Orphan Black like you guys, you guys did. And you guys always recommended it. I just never gave it a chance. Um, I feel like I need to now because yeah, Tatiana Maslany is an incredible and she can carry scenes of any type. Like the, the, there are, there's some you know, this is like this is a comedy. You know, not a dramedy. It's, it's straight up comedy for, for in terms of the MCU standards. Um, but she can carry like you know powerful scenes. She can carry comedy scenes. She can play off her cast of all the legal characters. But she can also go toe to toe with like any character in the MCU, um, which is exciting. I mean, you know, in the first four episodes, the cameo so far, are the ones you've seen in the marketing. But we know there's even more coming. Like Daredevil, of course, we haven't seen yet, but. Um, that's exciting because that her interactions with those as Jen Walters or she Hulk, like that's going to be awesome. Um, and it's such smart timing for Marvel studios to drop the show. And when they first announced that, I was very curious what they were going to do with it. Um, but it's such an amazing, 
I think Kofi hinted at, at, at this as well. This is such a great show that can be like a platform for other character appearances to give them character moments or to set up little backstories for antagonists, other heroes, old ones, new ones, like everything. Um, so I do hope the show, as much as I want to see the She-Hulk show up in Avengers movies, and I'm sure she will, I kind of want this show to be always going on every summer in the background to be the through line of all the other Disney Plus movie stuff. Like I think characters like in, and you'll see this in the marketing of course, but like Emil Blonsky coming back as the abomination after that kind of brief cameo in, in, in Shang-Chi, like that, that's very exciting to see and to give that character more screen time and to like follow up with what we saw in the incredible Hulk 13, 14 years ago, which is insane to say, but it's so cool. They can bring back all these old characters and old threads and evolve them or have payoffs that have been years in the making. Um, and you couple that with, of course, this like meta look at not just the formula of the MCU, which she pokes fun at each episode, but like the lore of the MCU, which she pokes fun at as well. And I will say this though, um, it, it's this is probably it's the easiest recommendation for any MCU show. And I told my wife that, and I told my brother that. I'm like, this is a show that's super fun to watch. I cannot wait for each episode to drop. It's exciting. And not from a big event perspective. It's just because it's so friggin' fun. And I'm so curious what's going to happen next and who's going to show up. And and every episode has a post-credits beat, which is hilarious. Um, and we'll talk more about the first episode in, in a second. Um, but yeah, this is something special. And and but I will say this: the so far, the um, you know, for lack of a better term, the antagonist so far, there's like a dickhead lawyer, there's a Titania, you, Titania, you've seen very briefly, like they have not impressed me yet. Uh, I'm, I hope they get their time. Um, and that, and of course, you know, the big conversation around uh, Marvel Studios as of late, and it's been going on for a long time now, is the whole VFX thing and how they um, collaborate with VFX houses. Some don't have time, some don't have budgets, and et cetera, et cetera. And timing of this is so funny because we're actually doing VFX interviews for some other Marvel projects that already came out. And like, I'll just say it, like they're straight up asking us not to bring that up, even mm even though it's, it's a now hot topic again because of She-Hulk, right? And they had to address it at the TCA presentations because they're asked about that, right? Um, and I will say that in, in the screeners, at least, like it's, it's very inconsistent. Like There are scenes where in the first episode where we see She-Hulk up against Bruce, Bruce Banner's Hulk, and it looks pretty good. She, you know, she's, they did a great job. The design of the character is great. It's strong. And it, it, Tatiana really shines through, just like Ruffalo does. Um, but there are other scenes like indoors in like their legal superhuman office where like it looks like previs, like the textures are missing. It feels like the hair and the clothing look like broken animation. And also, I feel like they're shooting the the, the windows of the skyscraper they work in. I think it's green screened. Like it just looks weird, and it's jarring why they need to do all of that. Um, yeah, so that's disappointing. But it doesn't it doesn't bring the show down because I think Tatiana shines through and, and the dialogue and the characters around. It's a very dynamic, moving show. It's you know so. Uh, it's awesome. Um, so Ben, I cannot wait for you to see it, especially with your love of Tatiana. I think uh, it's going to be something special for you as well. So yeah, um, I'm excited. Like what you guys are saying excites me because like, you know, we looked at the trailers and you know, there was the conversation about the CGI and, and whether or not that was going to come together by the end. Look, at the end of the day, even if it's Ang Lee's Hawk, I'm so sick of this shit. It's green people. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's it. Yeah. If it looks silly to me or if you do the most intricate hair texturing, it still looks silly to me on a certain level. Like that's yeah. just the bottom line truth. And, and like yeah. the silliness doesn't bother me. Like it, it's a fucking silly show. There's a silly giant green woman. Like <laughs> it doesn't even when – And but Rob's right. It is con- inconsistent is the perfect word for it. And I think we're going to be seeing this all throughout phase four um, mm-hmm. because like – 
it's clear that the VSFX thing and like, look, man, I'm just tired tonight. And so like, I'm just going to spill more secrets. This is a whole Hollywood. Hollywood's just doing what Hollywood does, which is, you know, taking a small wound and gouging it into a life threatening one by not just coming out in the very beginning and being like, look, movies are going to hit different. The pandemic was different. All our VX houses are fucked. Everybody couldn't get to work and all the logistics were fucked. We're backed up. If you want movies, we're trying to push them out, but they're not going to be like shout out to all our VX stuff artists for all the hard work they did, but they only did what they could possibly do under these circumstances. Yeah. It was the pandemic. Shit got weird. Everybody get the fuck over it. We'll see you in like 2024. Oh, it's never their fault. It's, 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 it's always Marvel Studios. It's timelines and budgets and changing timelines without advance notice. Now, the VF, VFX artists are putting the most no, no. Differently. But they, yeah, I'm saying the studios should just stepped up. Like Hollywood should have just stepped up as a whole and been like, look, th- because it's not just Marvel. Like every – why do you think we're not getting Aquaman and the Flash this year? Do you think it was True. because they didn't shoot those? No, it's because Warner Brothers is just kind of different. And they're like, we're not putting Zazlav and them. are like, we're not putting this shit out like this. Like we're just going to take the time. <laughs> And that's literally what's happening. That's what, um, so it's a it's an industry wide problem. TV mm-hmm. hasn't looked as great. Movies haven't looked as great. And I've been saying that since the beginning because it's not just the VFX, the blocking at the beginning. All everything that came out last year, all the blocking was insane. All of it was so insane because everybody was trying to spread people out for COVID and shit like that. I'll never forget the end of Internals when they're all hanging out across the room from each other in this big ship and shit. It's like there's three of you in this room. Like who ends out like this? Um, but like, it's an industry-wide problem. So you can throw rocks at this if you want. I mean, there are, like Rob said, there are going to be scenes that are going to allow you to do it, and it works when it's all Marvel, right? Because they have all those things at the computer, like Bruce Banner and She-Hulk on an island. It, it looks fine, but it does get weird when you try to put Jennifer Walters, she or She-Hulk, in the middle of a legal office with a bunch of regular humans, right? Like yeah. that, that gets weirder. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I, I'm excited. I mean, I'm, but I'm really optimistic that, you know, I'm going to like it at least because for one thing, you know, we've said, I, I really dig Tatiana Maslany. I loved Orphan Black. I really think you would enjoy that show, Rob. I know we've recommended it to you before and it's out now. And, but the show even finishes up in a way that I think is, is pretty good in terms of, you know, shows that go on for five seasons. I think it actually delivers a pretty satisfying finale um for a lot of the characters that you come to come to really enjoy in that and then i love self-referential self-referential fourth wall breaking stuff it's my favorite thing about deadpool um and you know some of the other characters that we've covered in the past and so i'm here for it and i love the idea of this being a show that kind of carries through to the mcu and there's like a season of it every every year and she's commenting on stuff that happens in the you know, in the Marvel cinematic universe during that time, like that would be a lot of fun. Cause yeah. you know, Marvel could stand to sort of laugh at itself probably a little bit more than, than it does. Um, you know, these movies are fun and their characters make fun of each other and they make fun of themselves, but I don't know that there's like really an element of the universe, except for maybe Miss Marvel and, and she Hulk that have really gotten to kind of take a look at it and sort of make fun of some of the, the things. And in one case it's cause it's a teenager. And in the other case, you know, you have someone who's, whose sort of comic book history is being able to do that. Um, and it's in the DNA of the character, but yeah, but yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm excited to check this out now. Oh, so one thing Rob said, I want to touch on before I forget again is uh, it is interesting how they release these shows back to back because what's so funny about them is 
these two characters who will most likely meet in the screen together are like completely the opposite of each other. Right. Malakhan's yeah. like this girl who so desperately wants to be like the superpowered people wants to be a superhero and all that. Well, I think the thing about She-Hulk and I agree with Rob, there isn't really a clear major antagonist four episodes in, but it also would be weird for there to be because the whole thing. And I think will be the whole kind of arc of these episodes is her being like, I am absolutely not getting into this superhero shit. It's nuts. <laughs> like they, should, they play that scene in the thing. It's only for like, you know, in like adult orphans and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, she's not going to do it. But I think by, by the end, her embracing that she can handle both sides of this life. She can be an, a kick-ass attorney and a kick-ass superhero and finally having to fight is just going to be kind of the climax of this whole thing. So I, I think that's kind of funny because that's like, again, a reluctant somebody who absolutely does not want to be a superhero and absolutely somebody who absolutely does being these two kind of great series for two different reasons is, is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so by the time this, our podcast goes up, I think uh, the first episode uh, is it first two or just first one will be alive. I think, I think it's, it's just the first the, one, right? Yeah. I think it's okay. just the first one. Um, so the first episode covers like the origin, how she gets the powers when she's with uh, Bruce. Um, and they kind of loosely explain why his arm is healed <laughs> and how he's been kind of dealing with that. Um, Super. I think it's going to raise some timeline questions about how that fits with Shang-Chi because it, it doesn't. Uh, and um, well, maybe, yeah, I don't know. And there's the other thing is like part of the origin story of how they explain it is like they're in a little car crash uh, can we say this? Do do you want the spoilers, Benny? I mean, I think like I I feel like it's fine. I feel like look if you are really really concerned about you know She Hulk spoilers and knowing how she gets her powers or something and it's going to ruin it for you, come back uh, come back to the episode when it, it's more know, the inciting. I will just event. caution you that what they show you in episode one about that origin, there is a wrap up to that. It comes back, but that's not till episode two. So just be careful what you say. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, so they get into a car accident, right? Car collision yeah. they, of sorts. They, they drive off. They're driven off the road because something is blocking the road. And that something yeah. is a spaceship. And it's of the same design as – what is it the Grandmaster ship from Ragnarok? It's Sakarian. He says it yeah. out loud. Yeah. Yeah, which Sikarian. is weird because the Sakarian ships we saw – in guardians are like these little rock shaped pieces of shit that fly around. So like this thing, they're like, again, whatever lore. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So like what that means, like a spaceship there looking for them or one of them, uh, what that means for the future is very curious. So yeah. I don't know if that'll be fleshed I out will, more. In, I will in show again or? in four <laughs> episodes. There is no kind of corner that this show does not touch of the types of MCU of when you categorize like what MCU is like earth, cosmic <laughs> other stuff that goes on. All of it is touched upon in at least the first four episodes. Like, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's, I know we talk about this show kind of like playing fun and filling in the gaps, but it's also like, you know, setting up potential. Oh yeah. It's setting up tons of stuff (laughs) so far, just in like the, and these are not spoilers, but in the first four episodes, I can tell you without ever making anything feel like here's a Marvel development at all. They start threading all kinds of things that could lead to like, who's in the Thunderbolts and 
stuff like that to like how Jennifer Walters will one day have to do something in a major event, like with the Avengers to all kinds of crazy stuff. That could be cosmic stuff that's going on from the Marvels to guardians of the galaxy three, like to like, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes on. And, and like, again, to even some of the, like, I don't, I don't want to get deeper than that. Cause I feel like I'll start talking too much, but even some of the, yeah, like, I mean, even just kind of the, the the way out there of the mystical stuff, like there's stuff that goes on sets up that could be everywhere. And it's just, it's pretty deftly handled because again, none of the way they even, Oh God, I want to talk about this so much. (laughs) The fourth episode episode was like my favorite. And there's even stuff in that that's going to have re reignite old Twitter things. We were probably thought we were done with and theories that people are going to be going on. They're going to probably make you go, Oh, but at the same time be laughing. Like, um, they, they kind of mess with everything. And so like, yeah, it's pretty impressive the way it's handled because it never, ever again feels like it's serious because Jennifer Walters never takes any of this seriously. Like she right. does take her job seriously, but like all she, she is not impressed or wide eyed at any of the superhero stuff. She's like, Oh God, like whenever she has to deal with it and, and have great fun um, with that. And I'll add to this. And this is before we even meet the daredevils and the street level heroes that there's, you know, that all the rumors and that you've seen daredevil, the marketing, of course, but like, this is before we even get to that. So like, you know, not to overhype it, but I mean that that's the kind of shit that they're playing with. So it, that, that that's what I'm trying to say. It's so exciting week to week, even on this level, like what they're trying to do. It's, it's ambitious and cool and fitting. Yeah. And there's uh, so, even yeah. real world shit that they do. They like referencing like real life. That'll blow your, that's going to blow people's fucking minds. Like <laughs> stuff they do. Like it's just, and it's hilarious. It's smart. I mean, it's a very yeah. smart show. That's cool. Uh, the, uh, I have a couple questions for you guys. All right. So Jamila Jamil, who, you know, we know from the good place and I'm a huge fan of also her like social media advocacy and stuff is, mm-hmm. um, another reason I follow her and stuff was super excited uh-huh. to see that she's like, what? <laughs> No, I was just saying, uh huh. Yeah, your social media advocacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. Yes, exactly. No. Um, Titania, it was something I was actually quite excited for that she's in that role. Do So you're saying there isn't like a real central antagonist this season, or at least in the first four episodes. So they're just kind of building her up at this point because. Yeah, she's just one of the kind of players in the background. She's barely in it so far. She, she's got a scene and, that's, and she's a reference and that's kind of it so far. She will be in more episodes, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's it's not. There's no main story yet about that. Remember, again, and I will reiterate that this is a show, and I think this is going to be a part we're going to have to start screaming on Twitter and stuff because people are going to forget about a person who very me very. I mean, it's called attorney at law for a reason because, and I think there was some really smart name change they did there because it is a person who wants to be at this point in the beginning of the show wants to be very much just a, a successful attorney and not a superhero. So. Okay. Like, again, that's kind of the evolution. So it's kind of hard for her to have, like, a weird nemesis or anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Okay, second question. You guys said that Daredevil, you know, hasn't really, like, shown up in any... And, you know, those characters haven't really shown up yet. So I guess you can't really answer that other question. But my question was, do I need to watch Daredevil Season 3 before I watch this? Well, like, uh, I would say, yes, you should definitely make time for Season 3 three of that show oh yeah i mean just because on its own you should watch daredevil season three just because Because but like it's some of the greatest marvel tv yeah yeah. some of the greatest marvel tv is in daredevil season three before the batman was doing those fiery upside down shots daredevil season three was kicking ass with a car sequence with one car being attacked and 
being defended. Um, the newsroom fight is just insane. The church fight is insane. The final fight isn't that it's now part like lives on in meme heaven is insane. Um, yeah, the prison. Oh God, the single take episode yeah, of yeah, yeah, season three. Woof, man, I had nightmares about that one. I legit, I don't have panic attacks about like TV very often. Uh, when Ziggy shot somebody in the wire, I did when, but when Matt Murdock figures out like he has to get out of an entire prison, like that was so, and I was like, how the fuck are you going to do this? And there's no way to do it except a, like a camera following him as he has to go through fucking room to room. That shit is amazing, man. I guess, uh, I guess the good news is I have, if it, if you guys are four episodes in and that hasn't really like emerged yet, I have, I have four weeks to get through season. It's three. an easy watch. But once you start watching that shit, like it, it's also a Kingpin reset, which you need to see. Cause like, you know, Matt Murdock and the Kingpin are going to be big players in you know, the future of the MCU, like, you know, in Canon now, but also like, I'm still hopeful that this, they, they you know, season three is about, um, bullseye as well and i would love to see like kevin feige have that up his sleeve somewhere Ooh, i forgot about that character. best origin episode of anything like yeah is the really great character episode. oh god there's so much in and they earn it. it's such a slow burn for him to develop it's, oh, it's so well done yeah. yeah yeah the man who was almost captain america we had that <laughs> scoop that was yeah. my scoop back in the day because uh yeah he is good friends with a guy i went to middle school middle school with yeah and he like called me up and we had that scoop ready to go <laughs> we were just waiting for the um, final thing, and it came down to him and Evans, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, now Americans, uh, America's ass. The okay, I have another question. Um, well, hello, no, consolation prize. We did get that image Rob made of Chris Evans that uh, that became like the Captain America image for a while there. Oh yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> um, Kofi, you said this was your favorite, like of the MCU shows. Um, yes, at this point, at least, mm-hmm. Rob, where would you place it in your? So, uh, it's, it's it's same. Like Miss Marvel to me okay. was like the, the, the best one, despite my gripes with the middle episodes. This one is it, you know is there or topping it. So um, Marvel's on the upswing, which is very much needed and very timely. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's exciting. Um, it's so funny too because like Miss Marvel and She Hulk, obviously controversy around these shows because of like people review bombing them because of the female focus and and stuff like that. It's funny that these shows are kind of emerging as some of the, some of the best shows. Cause I don't, I don't know that these are, I mean, I don't know that these are the shows that like, you know, people would have like associated with when they were thinking like, what do they want from a Marvel TV series? I feel no, like Falcon- every single one of them, every single one in phase two of these Disney plus shows made everybody say, Oh, Okay. Yeah, I guess true. you're that person. Okay. Uh, I mean, only like people like Jim, I mean, only the obvious comic fans. I can tell you like half the comic book staff, like it's funny now that I'm thinking about it, like in thirds, like a third of the people were like jumping up and down because it was moon Knight. A third of the people have been jumping up and down because it's she Hulk third of the people have been jumping up because of Miss Marvel third of the people have just been jumping up and down because daredevil's getting back in and you know, all that. <laughs> But um, yeah, like, yeah, it was people were like, okay, you know, all right, I guess. I mean, of all the things you could be telling stories of, because I think we all just thought like film spin outs and things like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. But, you know, it's funny, Ben, like, you know, people talk about inclusion and diversity and stuff. But, you know, when you start giving people, you know, characters and put teams of, you know, authentically diverse people 
or people fitting that lane underneath it, you'd be surprised how much in moxie there is out there. These people have built up to really <laughs> kick ass and do a good job and make quality shows and bring creative, fresh things to the table. So, you know, that's it. Let them have some uh, control over their properties too, with the style. Like this, this show and Miss Marvel are the best examples of them. Like, like producing and making the show different and playing with the formula and not just like the formula of the Marvel formula, but like the rules that they've established don't matter anymore in how they shoot these shows. And we talked about Miss Marvel and the styling where you see her thoughts in the, in the dynamic backgrounds of the buildings and the signs in this show, she talks to the camera and breaks the fourth wall. That's, that's yeah. a daredevil thing that fans know, but no, it, and it totally works in the show. You Who cares Deadpool. if it doesn't, sorry, what did I say? Daredevil? Dead, yeah, yeah. Daredevil. Yeah, sorry, Deadpool. Told you, but, you're um, in that third of love and that Daredevil comeback. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so tired. It starts with a D. Um, yeah, so th- that's the coolest thing over. And I, I hope the positive reception that we have is felt by everyone so they are encouraged and feel the freedom to let people make their shit. You don't – like with, people know and they've earned the trust of fans where they can take a risk. Let creators come in and do their own shit. Like I wish now if we could change history, Edgar Wright could come in and do his Ant-Man his own way. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Especially that I dig Peyton Reed and I like those movies. But like this is with a chance now where I could come in and shoot a movie so differently than anyone else has. You know what I mean? Now that would have worked, I think. But uh, Yeah, it's, it's you know. just interesting because it's like I think when we were thinking, okay, they're going to do these Disney Plus shows, the things like WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier were kind of the things that we thought they would do. Like you were saying, Kofi, like movie spin outs, you know, even – Loki is kind of ambitious from that standpoint because it's this time bending, you know, alternate universe type thing. But even that you're taking a character that's beloved in the movies and spinning it out. Whereas it's interesting that now that we're getting kind of away from that, these last three shows have been to me, some of the most interesting ones. And I, I loved WandaVision for, you know, a myriad of reasons, but I think, and you know, as much fun as Hawkeye was and, and stuff like that, it's been cool to see, create just like you guys are saying creators come in and just do something really unique it feels like miss marvel was really unique moon knight you know even though it it there are certain things about that show i think that worked better than others it was still cool like the multiple personalities and switching back and forth between them and the lost time and and some of that kind of stuff that they were doing was was pretty interesting and now with she hulk like this is another thing that like it's just cool to see how in my mind how it's kind of evolved i know a lot of people fell off from some of these marvel Disney plus shows because they felt like some of these earlier ones may not have like fully delivered or may have kind of not, you know, or may have just been kind of like movies. Like I think if you look at WandaVision, even though it's as creative as it is, it's sort of like by the end of it, you just have the big CGI battle between, you know, the hero and the sort of like evil version of them. Right. Like there are some of those Marvel tropes there. Um, And, you know, some of the theories and things around like, some of these shows didn't pan out. And I think there were a lot of people that kind of fell off and got a bit cynical about these, these like Disney plus shows. So it's cool to see that, you know, I don't know. They're doing some really, really unique and cool, cool stuff with, with these recent entries, especially. And we're starting to see what the purpose of a Disney plus TV show is, um, you know, in terms of introducing new characters and fleshing out the universe. So you can just bring these people into movies or say something interesting about, about the MCU like I'm here for all that. I'd rather them do weird, ambitious stuff than just do more, you know, movies that are just TV shows, basically, um, that they didn't think people would like show up to the theater for. So they're on, you know, they're doing them as a TV series. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's cool. 
Uh, anything else you guys want to say about this thing before we we move on? We've talked about the CGI. We've talked about you know the 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 only thing left is if Kofi wants to talk about the post credit scene. <laughs> so I could say um, these guys spoiled. Yeah, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one we'll marinate. Yeah, yeah. I think Twitter needs to just kind of absorb that. And, <laughs> and as I asked a room full of horrified people at a comic book at a meeting today, where you know the real question here is, <laughs> it, you know, when, once we throw a Batman factor into this whole thing, then we can really start to debate DC versus. I got our next DC versus Marvel. It's Batman. Versus Steve Rogers, but not for the reason you think. The way you think, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, well, cool. Um, well, you know, we will continue to cover She-Hulk as this as this story unfolds, and we catch up with these guys who've seen the first four episodes. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll certainly be talking talking more about this series, but I'm excited to check it out, and uh, maybe I'll stay up late and watch it. I don't usually do that, but I'm pretty pumped for this show. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm curious to check it out. Uh, okay. So we're going to move into kind of going through some of the shows and, and movies and stuff that we've all gotten to check out the past week. Um, Kofi and I are going to talk Westworld season four finale. Kofi's going to talk uh, Better Call Saul series finale. Rob wants to talk Day Shift. And then we're going to talk For All Mankind. So um, Kofi, you want to kick it off for Westworld? Or you want me to? Or you yeah, want no, me? no. I got it. All right. I just heard something berserk. I thought, I don't know what it was. It did sound like something like squawked or something. You, you heard that. I, I did, did too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have like noise canceling headphones on. So I get like a little wigged out. Like sometimes I'm just like, yeah. Squeaky oh. chair or an eagle in your house somewhere. <laughs> no, I think it was a bird outside my window here. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs> that was super yeah. duper crazy. Or if it's yeah. the crow of death and Lord Morpheus is here, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Adam Oswalt just is screaming at your window. Oh, <laughs> Lord Morpheus! Oh, I watched please. the first. I watched the first couple episodes of that, by the way, before we get started. I I dig it. I haven't finished it yet, but I think I'll keep going. Um, but I do see what some people were sort of. Dude, Sandman's still you know, killing it, man. Sandman's still hot. It's gonna have legs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, by the way, true. you know I was pretty down in the first two episodes. I, I finished that I show, and it's, it's fucking awesome i'm so in love with it and like like kofi and i said i think about it so much and like once you get past the first three every episode is its own story and they just think about the diner episode were you are you pro this well, is that, that was a wild fucking episode but you know what i loved even more the episode either after that i think with death no everybody's um, favorite everybody's top favorite is episode six um uh on her wings or whatever it's called with death that's everybody's favorite with death and the and uh hob Hob is like that. Hob, that was an amazing story. I mean, it, you know, yeah. it's funny that everyone was hyping up um, Gwendolyn uh, Christie playing uh, Lucifer, and that was a kind of a cool episode, a standalone thing. But I think the other ones even talked that. But anyways, we don't want to dwell on that. It, Sandman's yeah. amazing. If everyone is, is like me and or Ben didn't dig it the first couple episodes, or you're not familiar with the material like I was, it's so worth plowing through because I truly think it's something special, and I hope they get a season two. Yeah. Sorry, I, yeah. I, think it's, I mean, it, it's almost guaranteed now. Like, the, it's it's been hot. Like, yeah, everybody's obsessed with Tom Sturgis. He's what a cast. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's achieved that a goth that goth king thing that uh you know the original you know Morpheus from the comic did. So everybody's yep. gonna be yeah. dressing. Welcome back, goths. 
you guys are back. Um, yeah, yeah, Sandman is hype. But um, all right, yeah, so I'll just start talk about the thing I'm supposed to be talking about here, which is yeah, – Yeah, um, let's get on this Westworld. Westworld's Westworld. back, right? Oh, yeah. Well, so yeah. Westworld's back. Westworld has been – it was much better this season. Um, the ending was okay. Like for finales, Westworld doesn't yeah. always do great in the finale department. But, uh, you know, it always has a good penultimate episode like so many HBO shows. But um, – this Westworld finale was okay. There was a lot of cool stuff in it. There was they did big. It was big in scope, and uh, you had some great performances. Um, you know, I won't get into too many spoilers because I know how people catch up on TV and people. This is not like everybody's a must see TV right now, but uh, I'm sure people will catch up on the whole season now that it's all out on HBO Max and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they do a funny thing because they get one more season. I think the next season's the last one, right? Yeah, yeah, that's they, the point. They make it pretty clear. Yeah, they they, they yeah. set it up pretty clearly. At least for these actors, <laughs> they, these lines are pretty meta. Yeah, they're like, "This is the yeah. final one, motherfuckers." Westworld. Um, like, yeah, but there's a nice kind of full circle thing they're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, there was bugged out. There was even a few more twists in the finale about like, I like this season about how it got back to playing with time and place and with you, like making yeah. you think like everything was still this serialized concurrent story that they told in season three, which I think was the weakest season for me. Um, yeah, that was, was the most boring thing when they were just like, let's just do the future. Um, and it was like, okay, all right, but it's not really Westworld really, is it? Um, yeah. And this season they got back to just, like I said, just fucking with your head about like, where are you in time and place? Like concrete, like storylines from different periods of time kind of, overlapping and always seeming like related to each other in the present when they're really, really not in playing with the nature of like what's reality and who's like, you know, what's real and all that. Um, and it did a good job of kind of doing that and still having some, some pretty kick-ass action scenes and stuff like that. So all in all, I think it was a good return to form after kind of a week season three, where I thought like Westworld's pretty much over after season three for me. And I was just like, yeah, so they, they got me back in and, I like, I hope that, huh, how to phrase this correctly, I hope that the first, the next the final season takes the premise that this one has given it and just does an easy, nice, just yeah, close it down. last yeah. arc because they literally have just given themselves a ticket to just do, do whatever, bring back whoever, do whatever, you know, and I hope they do that. And I just yeah, hope they I do it. So give it, give more fans one simple, last, straightforward kind of. I mean, play with time and in, in surprises, but like in terms of the larger premise, like just we've seen the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all great. Like let's just get back to what we were doing and finish this out nicely. Because if we come full circle and stick the landing, it'll be a great thing overall. Yeah, what's cool about the way that they sort of end up ending this season is like it really sort of sets up the idea that you know like everybody like the show is even on a loop like it's kind of coming back to its roots for the final final season especially after you know all these things are about you know the host being on loops and humans being on loops and kind of the idea of I I think the thing that I like the most about this season aside from like Tandaway Newton and Tessa Thompson's performances which I thought were like stellar this season especially Jeffrey Wright was also like a lot of fun this season Um, but I think one of the things that I I really dug about this season was just like they really blow out this idea of like if you can't tell the difference between a host and a human 
like, you know, is there sort of continuity of existence in that there's a human and then there's a host that becomes like that human in every discernible way. And that basically they become that person. Like, is that a continuation of that person's life and sort of existence because of their impression on the world? And I think that's a, a thing that they had been kind of hinting at and getting towards for a really long time that they finally sort of at least had a thesis that they presented this season, which I thought was pretty cool because there's a couple characters that are sort of like on the verge of fidelity, which is a, you know, a, sort of a term within the show. And I liked a lot of that stuff. Um, and there's a cool, ep- there's a cool episode with, with Aaron Paul, where he's kind of stuck in this kind of like, uh, like maze where he's encountering different versions of himself and they're kind of helping him escape, which I thought was also, which was also very cool. So, um, there's just, I think they did a lot of really interesting stuff. I know at the beginning of this season or kind of maybe two or three episodes in, I was joking when Kofi and I first started talking about this, people were saying like Westworld is back. Like the show is back on track. It's doing all this stuff. I don't know that it like kind of stuck the landing at the end because I feel like it sort of threw out more ideas that it is now going to have to deal with in its final season. than it, then it's starting to close down. Like time is against this show and it needs to start, kind of shutting things down as opposed to cracking things wider and wider open. And I think this season, it, it kind of does a combination of those two things, but it's also that there's not a guarantee that it's even going to get a fifth season. I think it'd be unfortunate if it doesn't, but with, you know, this new like WB guy, discovery guy coming in, um, it's possible that it doesn't because the viewership of the show is abysmal at this point. So when, in the season that we all, you know, watched, and there was all the hype. The first season, there was 1.8 million viewers um, per episode. Th- and it has steadily gone down. You had 1.6 in season two, but it dipped below a million in season three. And now it has like only about 300,000 people are watching the show every every week. And of course, that doesn't include like... Wait, how many? You know, people who are 300,000. Oh, this is yeah. 3,000 for a minute. I was like... No, no, no. 3,000. I mean, it's still... But, you know, when you're thinking about an HBO viewership, you're expecting it to be, you know, in the in the millions, at least a couple million, if not more no, than that. I mean, I expect it to be in the low millions if it's HBO. Yeah. These days, but I mean, now it's in standards. the, you know, now it's a third of a million. For first, but, like first probably night premiere things like, you know, yeah, a week yeah. later, it's probably like closer to like a one million show is probably closer to like three, four million when you do all the streaming yeah. calculations and all that shit a week later. Yeah, I just don't know how, you know, I mean, these guys are coming in trying to shake things up. Like, are they going to give this show, which is probably pretty expensive to produce. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, Big time. Another season. But, um, but well, now I'm looking at, like, succession viewing figures, and that show is massive. And it's only, like, 500,000 people. So maybe, I mean, maybe my math is off on this. Maybe I'm thinking too much in terms of network. But 300,000 still not. Yeah, nobody, great. like, watches but, HBO anymore. Like, yeah. Also, very few people watch it night of air. Yeah, with yeah. these shows. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and there's a lot of expanded release for this show too. I'm that's sure why they did, and that's why HBO more than anybody else is also on it by the simultaneous thing. Like as soon as it hits broadcast, like I can just fire yeah. up HBO and Max and just you can watch yeah, it there. Watch it, yeah. So, like, yeah, I don't know how that all gets calculated, but um, I think you know, it's always people. The one thing that I love about today is. 
you know, I was a very neurotic collector. That's why I don't do it a lot anymore. I'm one of those people who had to get like everything of something, even if it was terrible. Um, <laughs> and so like, whether it was music albums or comic books or toy lines or whatever it was. So one thing I love about this that I think is hilarious is the streaming thing, especially has made kind of studios become neurotic about getting those content blocks and so like just finishing yeah. something out. So they have a whole content block that feels like complete that people watch because I mean, it is, it is an evergreen thing you have to consider as part of the business. Like if you have a whole block of Westworld, you know, people over time keep watching that. I mean, it's true of TV shows, especially um, which yeah. sustain a lot of these streamers. Like how many times I think I've watched Seinfeld in at least like two, three different platforms by now. And still, like, watch that whole content block because it's there. So if they want to do Westworld, I mean, leaving out where this thing obviously calls for an ending season and just getting that season in. And I can see how they can really now do this for lower cost. Yeah. The way they (laughs) kind of leave it. Um, They could do it and just get it done so they have that whole – they can say it's a whole saga, right? Like here's all of it and here's a content block and it's a complete story. And you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think for the purpose of the legacy archive of the thing and people coming back to it, you're probably right. I mean, it's certainly having a complete story that ends in a way that feels like a completion of that thesis and, um, you know, feels like a close ended thing would benefit the rewatchability of the series more than leaving it where it is now. Cause where it is now is, like it feels like a cliffhanger in some ways, like not like a cliffhanger because it's not like a, you know, it's not ending in Medius rays or anything like that, but it, it does feel kind of like you, in order to close up some of the things that they've invested time in developing in season four, you need a season five to do that. Um, they also pretty much outright tell you they're like, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of heavy, heavy handed dialogue. Yeah, for that sure. says we need one more, just one more. We need one more run. Like, it's true. Yeah, I mean the like a line of dialogue that will not spoil this for anybody who's thinking about getting back into it, but um, tells you what Kofi's talking about is like literally they like the Jeffrey Wright's character says at one point Bernard says um, to another character, you know there is there is only one last game to play. And you have to accept it's not your game, basically. And that is setting up like the final, you know, the final thing. It's like this one last attempt at kind of, you know, discerning the nature of humanity and, and host kind and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, here's a question for you, Kofi. Like if you um, say Rob hasn't watched this season, right? Rob, when did you stop watching Westworld? So I finished season three, and funny enough, because I knew you guys were going to be talking about this, I tried, I was going to watch the first episode last night just to kind of understand like the setting and where it picks up, and I yeah. literally could not understand in my head how season three ended. So I started yeah. re-watching the season three finale, and I was like, oh my God, there's so much going on. They do, they so, do some pretty wild, yeah, they do I think some I need pretty to wild. re-watch three and then watch four. I'm so yeah, lost. Yeah, they do some pretty wild jumps. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff that's wave of the hand, even at the end of this season, it's like the state that humanity and the hosts are are left in is like, <laughs> like, like it's a very kind of hand wave type type thing that is just about getting us to 
this sort of final game that that Kofi and I were talking about. But um, so you're not a good example, but for somebody who maybe fell off after like season two, let's say, Kofi, would you recommend them watch season three and season four and like get back on Westworld? Or do you feel like it's a wait and see to find out whether or not this whole thing kind of comes together? Like, did you enjoy the season enough to tell people to slog through season three and then, you know, watch this, which is kind of a flawed end. I always tell people to cheat. Go watch a, a, like a breakdown of Westworld season three and four minutes video or some something like that yeah. and figure out just the kind of basic strokes because there are some character things you need to know and understand um, and kind of like the larger events of what happens in terms of the action and conflict in that season. But yeah. season four also is weirdly kind of like a soft reboot in and of itself, kind of spacing yeah. things out so that yeah, that makes sense. You don't really need to know a whole lot more than. I thought, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really liked season four, even though I was pretty disappointed by the finale. I did think the finale was okay, but there were things that I, I was kind of hoping they would go in a different direction or things that would like have been a bit more impactful than they were or, or whatever. Um, but I would still strongly encourage people who have enjoyed Westworld to watch season four, because I think there is some really great storytelling. But if you didn't watch season three, like Rob and Kobe are both saying, like, and maybe even if you did watch season three, probably worth watching a 10 minute video <laughs> recapping season three, because it is a it's a rough jump for sure. I think it's probably the roughest jump between seasons. Season two to three was was maybe you know a little bit yeah, of a but rough i mean they earn it. it is but they i mean i would argue that they earn it because they obviously did it for you know narrative twist reasons right totally for sure yeah 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 and to just tell the part of the story that they want to focus on i mean i think the story of westworld is kind of like there's a lot of shit that happens off screen that is some of the like would have been some of the bigger action sequences and crazy wars and things like that, that you just don't see because like, that's not the intimate, you know, storytelling that they want to, and philosophical storytelling that they want to want to really explore like moment to moment. And, um, but I can see why that's disorienting for some people too. But, but man, like Westworld is just, it really is my jam. I think I, I love it even when it's flawed and, this season was nice because it was kind of like less flawed than the previous season. Like it was objectively great a lot of times. Um, so yeah, I really, I do. I'm with you. I hope it gets a, I hope it gets a final season and they get to finish this story that they've set out to tell. Cause it's going to be a big bummer if they don't. Um, Cause this is not a great place to end the story. Um, cool. Well, uh, anything else you want to say about Westworld? No, I'm good. Okay. Why don't we jump over to you for Better Call Saul, and then Rob and I will finish up with the other two things that we were going to talk about. Oh, yeah, because I'm going to be asleep soon. Tonight's <laughs> drink was a was uh, interesting you, yeah. experimental mix. It was a vodka drink, but uh, with uh, some watermelon and watermelon, frozen watermelon, basil, fresh basil, and Ooh. some uh, grapefruit juice. Um yeah, it was a nice, refreshing, like little That's summer nice. cocktail. Um, and, but it's empty now, so I'm gonna be asleep real soon. But uh, before <laughs> I go, let's talk Better Call Saul. Um, if I don't know who I am, I'm Kofi Outlaw. I write for ComicBook.com, and I have a little article feature that I spent the, I would say, most energy productive crux of my day on today, 
which is is Better Call Saul better than better than Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul ended this week. Um, the series finale aired. Uh, I watched it. I was edge of my seat the whole time. I watched it when I was like half asleep. I started it because I'd finished something else. I was watching. Oh, Predators! I'm doing a whole Predator rewatch. Um, so. I thought I was just going to watch like the first 10 minutes and see if the cliffhanger from the penultimate episode was going to be cool. And I ended up being upright again and like from the brink of sleep and just like on the edge of my seat watching that whole thing. Um, so basically in this article, I kind of break down. I'll just do the short version here is better call Saul like better than breaking bad. And it's kind of like, it depends. It depends on how you look at it. Sorry. I know I do that to you a lot in headlines. I think I make you think it's going to be controversial, but then I like have a pretty measured perspective. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, it depends on what you look at. Like breaking bad is infinitely more accessible and, and watchable to people because it's, it's a crime. It's a hard boiled crime drama that. I mean, it hits the ground running literally and never stops, right? Like Walter White makes a decision. He gets into this shit. Shit gets like immediately goes wrong almost immediately. And it's just him playing basic catch up with like staying one step ahead of complete fucking disaster until he can't anymore. Um, And that's exciting. It's accessible. Each season's nicely compartmentalized for people to watch and enjoy and binge. Better Call Saul is, however, the more richer, mature Vince Gilligan product where he saw the themes more clearly that he was kind of going for in Breaking Bad and was able to really dig in and do a deeper character story about that with the other creators of the show. And it's harder to get to access better call Saul. I'll be honest because I mean, you're not, none of the breaking bad stuff like Gus Fring or any of that comes into play until season three of six, like season one and two are just about who Saul Goodman was before he was Saul Goodman and like him actually trying to be a good person and, and be a good lawyer and his feud with his almost this kind of Shakespearean feud he had with his brother who's a successful expert lawyer and all that. And so it's a legal, it's a drama with like, not even a legal drama. It's a drama show with like a legal bend. So and it's hard for people to get into it. And they're like, Oh, I heard it was really good, but you know, um, I mean, we'll watch it eventually, but like, you know, it, it, you don't see it, but like when you actually then get into all the breaking bad and the Gus Frings and you get to see like the show treat those characters with the same Mike, Ermin Trout and with the same kind of slow burn, but richer, deeper character development, it, it completely opens up the Breaking Bad universe. And ultimately, I believe Better Call Saul is the well is the harder one to access. Is it's the more enriching and and richer experience of watching. Like the show, they did stuff, especially in this last season, where you just kind of come away looking at Gus completely, completely differently. The Salamancas completely differently. You definitely come away looking at Saul Goodman completely differently. You you understand just how much influence he had actually in Breaking Bad. And, you know, they used him as comedic relief. But this show makes you definitely understand why that guy definitely belonged in that criminal enterprise in the world. And like and it's interesting because the shows are about two men who came together and did something really bad, but are coming from almost completely opposing directions. Like Walter White is a person who thought, you know, he was good until 
you know, the, uh, his kind of squandered ambition kind of really came back to haunt him at the, when he found out his life was ending, you know, his whole thing with the company and all that, not being as successful as he was. And that just became ambition and stuff that kind of ate him up inside. Um, and better call Saul is about a guy who thinks he can be a good guy who just finds out, you know, kind of slowly, but surely that he's just a piece of shit and like, and kind of infects everything he does, like, and is everything he's around. Um, yeah, the things he causes as a con, as just a simple kind of shuckster con man. Um, and like, yeah, and, and it's very interesting to see where both of these characters end up and kind of what paths they go on and like what need and like, yeah, and the kind of thematic resolution they both get. So, yeah, Better Call Saul is, is pretty, pretty rich. But it, it, I think out of all the series, it has, I, I love some Breaking Bad episodes, but you know, my favorite ones are going to be Saul episodes. And some of the most horrific moments are, are in Better Call Saul when, when shit really does start to hit the fan in that show. Um, hmm. and, it, and it makes you appreciate Breaking Bad in a whole different light. Like you come away seeing just about every character in Breaking Bad significantly differently than than you did because i think breaking bad's more cartoonish in a way not and i'm not saying that in a bad way but it's almost like a you go back and you look at characters like tuco and even walter white who becomes like this almost over the top by the by the end of that show brian cranston was just taking just double mouthfuls of scenery in every bite you know what i mean like he was so over the top with how fucking crazy and evil heisenberg was that uh, he, this is kind of more the adult version of that. And uh, shout out to Rhys Shehorn as a uh, Kim Wexler, who's 10 times better than poor Skylar White um, as a female lead of Better Call Saul. So, yeah, man, I don't know how everybody else is going to feel. But like I said, Better Call Saul, harder. Better Call Saul is kind of like the novel to Breaking Bad's like beach reading. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, so, Rob, you you finished the last season, you said? Or are you two seasons behind? No, I've only seen the first two seasons. Uh, okay. I was going to ask you, Kofi, if each season, like, is this this is season six, right? Is this the strongest yeah. season? Oh, yeah, by far. Um, seasons five and six are, are, everything from season three gets, seasons one and two are the hardest to get through because they're just about the brother, you know, they're about his personal life and his legal ambitions. Season yeah. three is when, Mike starts to meet like Gus and all of the breaking bad stuff begins to become much more visible and apparent. And even then they take even more seasons. It's about only about seasons five and six where you're really into the kind of like, okay, this is the Saul Goodman, you know, real criminal enterprise thing becomes apparent. And even in that stuff is amazing by the end. So like, yeah, season three is when it starts to really pick up and kind of really get interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think I, I ended, I think about the same place you did, Rob. I think I was somewhere in the middle of the second season. Um, um, I, yeah, it was just at the time, it was just a little too slow for me, but you know, breaking bad was as well. And I kind of like caught up with it as it started picking up. So I think this is probably the same thing. I, you know, I was interested in the Michael Mando character and that kind of crime plot. And that, that's what was kind of carrying me through. But I, the legal stuff with the brother, I just was not really into. So it's good to hear he picks up a three. And no, they. I got to say though that finale. This you want to talk about finales? Like Better Call Saul has one of the best finales I think I've seen. Like just scene for scene. Like there's just so many. Like there's a couple flashbacks, and one of them, you know, 
has to do with Breaking Bad, and it's just like one. And the they make all the stuff with the brother by the end. You really begin to understand, like, and it's kind of a spoiler, I guess, to say, but I mean, it's not. It's a kind of a thematic spoiler. But his brother was the kind of person who knew him, and he was always kind of like trying to. I don't know if it's like impress his brother or con his brother or a combination of both, but like later on that all becomes very important about like why he bonded with Walter White and like why he did like a lot. There's a lot, they don't ever come out and say it because that's the way they handle things in these shows in like breaking bad universe. But if you watch carefully, you, you begin to like piece together all these things. And like I said, it's a very good show about kind of turning your lens about like how breaking bad actually played out in like and what was really going on in some of those situations and what kind of a fucking kind of monster walter white is too (laughs) that's interesting i love i love when like prequels and stuff recontextualize things in a way that actually feels like it adds to the story as opposed to you know kind of um oh yeah better call saul is easily and talk about ambition easily at once one of the best prequels sequels and interquels you will ever see yeah Wow. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I'm going to have to find a place to... Because I feel like it would be up my alley. I liked Breaking Bad, but... It's all on Netflix. It's going to all be on Netflix. You can just binge it. You know, it's easier. I think it'd be much easier as a binge. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I handled most of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Cool. All right. Well, Rob, you want to talk Day Shift really quick, and then I want to talk For All Mankind with you. So why don't you do Day Shift, and then we'll... Sure. We'll finish up with For All Mankind. Okay, yeah, yeah. For anyone not familiar, Day Shift is like the new big original movie for Netflix starring Jamie Foxx. It's a vampire hunting film, and Day Shift refers to the shittier shift for vampire hunters because you're not out at night, prime time, collecting those fangs to sell them for cash. And that's kind of what the concept of the film is. So Jamie Foxx, his cover is like a, he's like a, you know, dressing up as a, as a pool guy with a shitty old truck. And he breaks into houses and, and kills vampires, and he gets himself caught up in a pretty rough situation. But the, to, keep, to keep it short and simple, this is like um, a pretty decent action flick that's sort of weak in all the other elements. And it's a it's the directorial debut for a guy named JJ Perry, who this ties into previous episodes of Podcast X. But he's been like a stunt performer and coordinator for like over thirty years, yeah, including on the first two John Wick films with Chaz Stileski and the whole 8711 group. So this film is produced by Chaz Stileski and his company, 8711 Entertainment. Not to be confused with 87 North, which is David Leach's company who did Bullet Train. They kind of, while they are collaborators in both the 8711, they had their own production companies to produce their own films. So that's kind of the connection there. And it very much is a somewhat light version of the atomic blonde John Wick style of combat. Like the action scenes are the selling point and maybe the only really big selling point of this film. Um, and, but it's a little more over the top, right? You look at atomic blonde and wick and it's like very martial arts, real finish to kills. This is, this is against vampires. So when they shoot them with a shotgun, they fly across the room. So it's mixing it with that fast and furious style of shit where like vampires fall through ceilings, they get shot, they fly across the room. Every action scene involves someone crashing through a wall, you know, just like The Rock throws people through the walls in those films. And this guy did work on the last Fast and Furious movie doing action. So you can kind of see the connection there. Um, but yeah, and Dave Franco plays like, um, well, to go back to the John Wick connection, they try to set up a little like kind of like universe in the background where there's like a vampire hunting guild called the Union. And 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 Jamie Foxx's character has been kicked out of the Union, but he wants back in because he needs better rates for when he sells these fangs and the 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 through line of the story is that he's trying to get money to keep his ex-wife and kid in la with him um 
Otherwise, we're going to move across the country and you wouldn't see his daughter, right? So that's supposed to be the through line, but it's all like a lighter version of what you get as like the motivating factor for John Wick and like its version of like all the assassin lore and the continental and stuff like that. It, it's trying to apply the same blueprint, but in like a B movie style with A level action. Um, and, uh, maybe one of the more cool selling points is that Snoop Dogg is in it. Uh, and Snoop Dogg plays this kind of like badass, well-respected Snoop Dogg style cowboy. And it's because of Snoop that Jamie Foxx is given a second chance at trying to get back into the union. Um, and Dave, this is where Dave Franco's character comes in. He's like a, a desk jockey clerk who kind of knows it all, but he's very cowardly and he gets pulled into all this crazy shit. Um, and I'll say this, there's, there's like, you know, action set pieces throughout the stories, whatever the villains are kind of shit. Um, there's no uh, Deacon Frost level villain like from Blade. I wish there was, right? Um, but uh, there's one big set piece where they're going to this house to track someone and they meet up with these two other vampire hunters and they reluctantly team up just to, and split the money. And one of these two brothers, they're called the Navarian brothers. And they, you know these are the guys that go around saying, yo, bro, 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 right? And one of them is played by Scott Adkins. It's a callback to is the old screen and underground podcast. Yes. I the guy where so there's one like guy sleeveless. There's one guy sleeve this, the guy with the sleeves, with the blades in the feet. That's yeah. Scott Adkins, oh, all the kickflips and shit. Um, so Scott Adkins is other like martial artist dude, and Jamie Foxx and Franco go into his house, and they realize, holy shit, this house is a hive. <laughs> and so like every nook and cranny of this house has all sorts of different vampires coming through it. And the one, and, and the action's like over the top, but it's really fun. It's like a classic. It's a great streaming film. It is the film I would recommend people rent and watch at home if you like. Yo, bro, send one. That's it. That's it. So it's, it's goofing over the top, but that shit's fun. And, and they also have – they play fun with like the lore of the vampires. There's like different types of vampires and they have different features. Uh, and what's really neat is visually they're like also like contortionists. So when they're fighting or moving around, they're like twisting around and shit and how they react in fights. And so that's kind of neat. Um, but also in, in the end, it is kind of forgettable. But it's you know an easy recommendation if you want like an R-rated um, – fun enough action film i highly recommend watching on netflix but uh there's no rush to watch it i'll say that Kofi, did you watch this or you were going to i have 45 minutes left i just finished that kind of big hive action scene and a little bit after that but uh yeah no i mean this reminds me once when i was a little kid i found a book called vampires with like a dollar sign in the in the uh for the for the s and it was like I was a horror kind of trashy genre horror or horror genre reader when I was a kid for books. Um, but they eventually made that shit into a movie. It was John Carpenter's Vampires with uh, oh. with uh, James Woods. And I was like, so I remember how psyched I was when I heard that. I thought I it was remember like, that movie. I was like, they made this movie for me. Like I was like, as a kid, I was like convinced by that. Um, but I saw it and it was so shitty. It's such a shitty movie. <laughs> I have to ask you, is that the movie where James Woods drives like a truck or Jeep and he like, he stakes the vampire and uses the truck to pull him into the sun. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay. I do remember that shit. Okay. Oh, it's on. <laughs> no. And funny enough, it's on, it got put back on Netflix a couple months ago before this movie came out. And this movie is like a slightly blacker version of that. Um, and yeah, and it's funny, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of as trashy, but they're, but the action scenes are really crazy and how they make the vampires fight and how the vampires can move and do all this kind of crazy contortion shit is pretty cool. Um, and it's at least different for a vampire movie. Uh, I'll give it that. But like you said, yeah. the rest, 
the scenes, like the staging and the shooting of scenes where they're just trying to do dialogue and shit like that looks like somebody just out of film school. It's, I mean, it's better than that. It looks more polished, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Uh, yeah. But, um, but it's funny because, you know, Dave Franco and Jamie Foxx are at least funny. They can banter with each together. other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Scott Atkins and the guy with the bros. I mean, those are scene stealers. Those guys are nuts and just the shit they do. <laughs> and that scene is amazing. <laughs> Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you yeah. this because you got you got 45 minutes left but Snoop Dogg gets in on the action in, in the final oh, set I, I mean I'm pretty sure it's part of his the only part like I get to smoke the whole time and I have to kick some asses like and I can't die <laughs> yeah. and he's got the LL the LL clause which is like I can't die which Queen Queen Latifah finally accessed I believe for herself as well she said oh, nice. she, she got the LL platinum clause which is yeah I survive I don't give a fuck if I'm a shark or Michael Myers or whoever. Like I survive. Um, that's what it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm seeing some news pop up. Ben, how do you feel about this breaking news? That uh, the that our, one of your favorite movies, R.I.P.D., is getting a sequel. Shut the f- <laughs> what? what? No way. Why? Hang on. Uh, I don't Not know. with any of the same actors, right? Universal Home Entertainment. Okay, I see. Yeah, <laughs> straight to video. Man, the, dude, there's some funny. There's a there's a funny Comic Con story featuring me, Mike Eisenberg, and our former uh, podcast friend um, that was on the Screaming Underground with us, uh, going and seeing that movie when we were all very very drunk because I think I had to review it the next day. Um, like I was reviewing it and there wasn't a screening of it and we were at Comic-Con and so I had to go to like a 10 o'clock showing um, seeing that original that original movie. I, I thought that movie was fine. It was fine. I didn't, oh, it wasn't no. a good movie, but it was it was fine. I thought it was like like I, I hate the last two uh, Men in Black films and this is like an even worse version of that, I thought. I couldn't handle it. What did I give this? Let's see. What did I give this? Uh, so you I reviewed said, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's why we went and saw it was because I needed to review it. Forgiving viewers and deados may find oh, that's an inside joke because that's what they call them in the movie may find some enjoyment in R.I.P.D. But the film is so choppy and half baked that living thinking moviegoers are better off letting this one rest in peace. God, I was I was down with four out of five. Yeah, four out of five. It was a <laughs> one point five out of five. Oh, good for you, so, Ben. I guess it wasn't. Uh, Hell yeah. Like Maybe I'm misremembering how much I enjoyed that movie. Um. Oh well, so is so this sequel would just be like, are they recasting people or are they? It's, is it like a, no one from the first movies in it. It's like a straight to video thing. Yeah, okay. Um. Okay. Well. Uh. So Kofi, I'm not excited about that breaking news. <laughs> if Ryan Reynolds was coming back, I'd be I'd be there for it. But um, all right. So last thing then um, for all mankind, which I've said I want to do a podcast, um, a podcast X where we basically called uh, for all mankind is the best TV show you're not watching um, because I love this show. I think I think honestly, Rob, you were the one that put me onto this thing a long time ago. Why well, owed you? You put me onto the expanse. Oh, right. So that that was where because you, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and I didn't really get into it until like recently. Like I ended up, I think, when I was going out to New York for work, 
I ended up like loading up the first couple episodes and I watched them on the plane and I was pretty taken with it. But when I got home, there was something else that I was watching. And so I didn't really pick it up. And then I went out to New York again for another trip. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just load up more for all mankind. And then that was like, maybe got me like towards the end of season one where things get like actually really crazy. And I started realizing the show was, it's not just an alternate history. There's some like really genuinely crazy action things that happen. And, um, you know, I started to really like fall in love with the characters. And then I just blew through the other two seasons, um, like very fast, like to the extent that I was actually losing sleep at night where, <laughs> because I was like, I could not put the show down and I was really, really enjoying it. Um, I'm not sure like if people even really understand what the show is about. Like, I think people see it's like space and it's, you know, it's whatever, but, um, and it's like a historical piece, but I think the best way of describing it is it every season is a decade or takes place like, you know, in a certain amount of time, and then it jumps a decade for the next season. So the first season takes place in like the 70s, and the second season takes place in like the 80s, and then the third season takes place in the 90s. And presumably the fourth season will take place, you know, kind of in the early 2000s and stuff like that, or mid 2000s. And it's an alternate history where um, the Soviet Union beats us by like a couple, by a couple weeks to the moon, and it kind of sets off this fascination with space and the competition between the Soviet Union and the US that ends up driving a lot of innovation and other changes in the world. So women's rights, like that, that sort of campaign moves along quicker in this universe because the Soviets also land a female cosmonaut on the moon, like shortly after they, they land the, they land first on the moon. So it kind of forces the US to like adopt you know, a more progressive approach to, to the feminist movement and like female rights and stuff like that and, and getting them, you know, for lack of like a better way of putting yeah. it kind of out of the kitchen and into like space shuttles and stuff. Um, and it just gets crazy and crazier with each season. Like it, where, how much it sort of diverges is, uh, it becomes more substantial, but then there's also like the most recent season had a character running for president and running against like Bill Clinton and stuff, you know, and it's like they were they're very interesting archival footage that's sort of recontextualized and used in different ways. I just love it. Um, I it's just love it. it's very smart. I think this is a Ronald D. Moore show who did Battlestar, yeah. and, and the pitch yeah. of it is like, yeah, alternate history, right? So it's like, we, like yeah. you said, this is we lose, we know we, I'm Canadian, the Americans lose the space race to the moon, right? And like, and, but it's cool because like they're playing, especially in the earlier seasons, they're using real life historical figures in the show. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, as it goes, but, but the, the, the fascination as you and me are like, you know, and anyone here, like big space geeks, this is like such a unique one. And it's so exciting because if the space race continued beyond the late sixties and seventies and NASA never stopped those Apollo programs or the follow-ups and the shuttle program never stopped, it kept going ahead. Like yeah, the technological exactly. innovation associated with like space and military advancement is so fascinating. They have cell phones 20 years earlier, they have flat screen monitors in the 80s and 90s instead of the their you know mid aughts or whatever you know what i mean so like everything's different and yeah we can just say the third season they are in the 90s landing on mars we have not landed on mars like 30 years yeah. later um yeah. so it's it's very exciting and a, the space race to mars is so cool too because it's not just geopolitical as the space race always yeah. was but there's like the, the, the private sector is getting involved which leads into another show i love and i recommend to you now is called mars it had two seasons in the national geographic right and it's 
very similar, except they mix it with real life documentary interviews with like Elon Musk and Neil deGrasse Titan and all, and all these like real life yeah, like okay. science figures. Uh, so it's a real take in what it would like landing on Mars in the future. But this is like an alternate history take. So um, yeah. it's it's very cool. Uh, like just to focus on season three since it just kind of wrapped up. So many great shows ending. This is wild. But yeah, um, yeah. end beginning. Um, this was cool. I love the Mars stuff. I love like the kind of some, I don't know how much spoilers you want to do, but like the twists of what they find on Mars and like yeah. the, all the issues they face. Very cool. Um, I am endlessly annoyed, however, at the Stevens brothers. Um, oh, yeah, they're the fucking Not hilarious. just yeah. Danny for causing all the issues on Mars, but like the, every scene involving Jimmy to me is borderline unwatchable. That yeah. whole subplot and that leads to the big thing that happens at the end of season three. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they kill off some, I like how they take risks and kill off characters, but like, Oh, I, it was just, it was really, really dumb. I thought how they yeah. handled that whole thing. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were on that. No, I agree. I think, and it's unfortunate too, because like the, you know, Gordo, um, and the Stevens were such an, an amazing part of like season one and season two that like, I understand what the show is trying to do where it's talking about how, you know, um, Ed who has played, who's kind of the main one of the main characters, if not probably the main character, of the yeah. series, who's played yeah. by Joel Kinnaman. He's a test pilot that you know, essentially could have landed on the moon before the Soviets did, but he chose to kind of follow NASA's rules and he didn't, and he always regrets that. And so, you know, that's kind of like where his character sort of stems from. It's like his best friend is this guy Gordo for anybody who hasn't watched the show. And he was the one who's going to land on the moon with him. And they're Gordo's kind of a real like, life astronaut. Tracy yep. Stevens real life, but yep. Baldwin's the made up character for, for the yeah, show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Gordo in this sense and Tracy Stevens, like, you know, in season two kind of have a really sort of beautiful like role in the, in the season finale. And then like this third season picks up with their kids, you know, cause it's 10 years later, their kids are now in their twenties and one of them is an astronaut and one of them is just kind of a fuck up. And, uh, <laughs> and it, they are, it's like reconciling the fact that these are these people's kids and, what they're doing in the show is for sure one of the weaker parts of, of season three. It's like they just needed somebody. They just needed kind of people to do dumb things. And so they picked these beloved characters from the first two seasons and made their kids the people who like do all the dumb stuff. Because literally if the two if the two Stevens kids weren't in this season, a lot of the problems that they run into on Mars and on on Earth by the end um, like wouldn't wouldn't even happen. So it's, it's like, it, it's kind yeah. of insane. That spe- it, speaks to the tricky part of the whole show, not not to cut you off. It's like, because yeah. they're jumping within the season, they jump months at a time, sometimes years. Uh, like in season two, they jumped years and we saw like the moon base expand or whatever, yeah. right? And like uh, each season jumps a whole decade or more sometimes. Um, it's very tricky to kind of keep characters and in, in those threads relevant. So like sometimes it feels forced that this character it's just because they're related to someone or they were here ten years ago they they have yeah. to kind of keep that momentum and thread going so the audience has something to kind of follow along with um, yeah. but now yeah. we're skipping 30, 40 years from the beginning so it is it's very tricky I think now and going forward how we're gonna keep that yeah. going right but yeah it's a uh, and I mean one thing I will say about the show that I that I don't like aside from basically anything Danny related um, <laughs> is. Uh, and you know what's funny though is like if you look at anything else besides the Danny, um, and I forget what the other brother's name is, Jimmy, Jimmy. That's right. Like everything else in the season is great. Like it really is just the stuff that deals with them. That I can't even really point to other bad components of this season, other than kind of the way that those two sort of force problems. Um, 
But uh, one thing I, I would be critical of just in general of the show is like the age makeup as some of these characters are now 30, yeah. 30 plus years in, especially um, the guy that has the affair in this season. Oh, um, yes. The president's husband or whatever. Like that, that guy, I mean, I can see the line on that wig, like where they have basically stitched it onto his face, <laughs> yeah. onto his head to make him look like he has a receding hairline, even though he's only like 35 years old or something yeah. like it's, uh, it's rough like that. Some of that, some of those characters look better in their age makeup than, than others do. And they look more natural, but, um, but I still, I still kind of like the idea. And I don't know if there are a lot of shows that have done this where like, you could be a character like, like Danielle, um, Danielle Poole, who's a female astronaut who ends up being kind of a mission commander to Mars and is a, a black astronaut and female um, astronaut that like would get to play, you know, this character who basically starts in her 20s and then you progress with her through like, you know, 30 or 40 years of of her life. Like, I think that's a cool thing that a lot of actors probably don't get to do. And I actually heard them, they have their own podcast. Like they do a weekly podcast and actually the, the woman who plays Daniel Poole is the one that hosts it. She's an amazing. Oh. Job. It's, really, it's really, really great. And she does interviews with like cast and crew members. And they were talking about um, like, uh, like what's her, I'm spacing her name, but um, Ed's wife. Oh, um, um, well, anyway, so it? like you can look it up while I'm talking, is, but is it, yeah, she, she was talking about how she prepares for each season by kind of like going through and thinking about the things that the character would have gone through and like the kind of music she would have been listening to at the time. And like, there's all these like rich, rich components to the characters as they try and kind of fill in these 10 year gaps. And she was talking about basically like, you know, her Karen, it's Karen Baldwin. Um, I did that without looking it up. But Karen Baldwin, like, you know, the actress was talking about how she would like imagine, well, Karen's gone through menopause now and like, you know, losing that kind of piece of her and, and going through that transition, like, you know, how would she feel about that? And how, and she was like journaling, like all of these different things as though they were happening to her in order to kind of like, you know, fill in enough of the texture that then she would be able to act, you know, kind of authentically to where that character is in their life. And, you know, some of that is like actor nonsense, you know, like almost like method acting type stuff. But I did kind of admire it in this sense because like, because these characters change so much sometimes season to season for like legitimate reasons, not just because the story demands it. I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of cool. Like that's a unique thing that I don't think you get to see a lot um, where people get to revisit these characters, you know, after a certain amount of time like that and, and form a new outlook that they might have or, or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I dig this show a lot. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to kind of say about it, but I think I'm, you know, I was genuinely shocked at the season finale and, you know, because a lot of people don't watch the show and we're trying to get our listeners to check it out. I don't, I don't necessarily want to spoil what happens, but I mean, they do, they like this season, like they do some massive things like that drastically shift, you know, who's on the show. And there are, you know, Rob was alluding to it. There's some pretty ballsy, like, you know, they'll kill characters that don't seem like you don't see coming. Um, I would say, and you kind of feel like they're getting set up for something else. And then something tragic happens. Like I, I dig that about the show. And I think this season more than almost any other season kind of did that because a lot of stuff goes wrong on Mars and a lot of things go wrong domestically. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and we should say that that kind of plays true to every season. There's been some notable yeah. leads dying, being killed off each season, which, you know, which fits the narrative, like, you know, <laughs> test pilot space travel is, it's not an easy thing. <laughs> yeah. I think like, uh, nor, is, nor is the politics behind it. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, a good example, I think of this show when I kind of realized, Oh, this show's different than I thought it was. Like when Rob told me as well, it's an alternate history where the, you know, things are kind of different. Like I kind of just thought it was okay. It's like a history drama or something, but you know, it's early enough on and we're trying to get people to watch the show that I, I feel like we can spoil something that happens in the, I think it's in the first season, right? Um, where the, oh no, it's the second season, but like literally there's like kind of an armed standoff on the moon between the Russians and the Americans. And like, there is a episode where the Russians like show up with guns and like basically start opening fire on the U.S., like military base um, mm. or not military base, but moon base. And, you know, there are significant people that are killed and it also creates like sort of a, a situation that requires like characters that we care about to be put in jeopardy. Um, but the visual of like these guys just like firing guns on the moon into this command center and then coming through the window and like stalking through, um, you know, the moon base with like, AK-47s basically on the moon is like still just warped in my mind um, and created such a like interesting sort of outer space, like kind of almost like horror, sci-fi horror premise, you know. It is, man. And the technical part of that is like not just like the when you bust a window on a a moon base, what happens to air, but also it's like you cannot hear things. So the communications are cut off or the guns have to be white because like the the sun on the surface of the moon, it'll melt in your hands if it's not. Right. So like all these cool things you would never, ever think about. So um, and they handled it really, really well. Yeah. It's just I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but the show is just it's quite different than I thought it was. I think people who might have given it a pass would be surprised by how interested there would they would be in it and how much more kind of like action and and sort of tense moments there are in a show that's an essentially you know a historical drama an alt historical drama but that's it I, yep. I'm very, I'm very excited for season four um, as it you know I mean they've they've landed on the moon now and so there's you know they've kind of conquered the moon and they they have continuously kind of said like, you know, they're not going to stop there. So I'm curious like where this show goes in the next, you know, like 20 years of, of the, of the universe. Well, yeah, have- that's it. Uh, the, 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 the pitch from in Raul D. Moore and he did interviews with us. I want to say New York comic con before the pandemic. He's like, no, no, this is like, I'm, I'm thinking seven years or more or seasons yeah. more. And it's like, the idea is to catch up to modern day yeah. and then push forward. What happens next? And yeah. it's cool because we're talking about like these, character deaths and the, the geopolitical it has a really interesting take on like the the ongoing cold war so to speak between russia yeah. and u.s which is extended because of this it's very different um and, and what happens to other countries is very different and you'll see a bit of that this season too um but yeah. uh uh it's also very hopeful because it's like it's yeah. showing you that what could happen when more of these countries align and, and do things and tech advances and you have different propulsion systems and stuff. And like, what if you can go to the Mars and then what would that look like? And it, it's very cool what they do and yeah. what some of the characters can accomplish too. Um, yeah. I just thought of another character who died. I didn't, I just completely forgot in my head. So yeah, there's a lot of characters. Die. <laughs> but it does make sense. I mean, 30 or 40 years have passed, so it should. Happen. Yeah. I mean, part of, and also part of the, I think the thesis of the show is the idea that, you know, this is a NASA and a, and a space, you know, in a space program, 
and competing space programs where it's almost like the, you know, go move fast, break things approach to space, right? Like, because exactly the whole kind of, the whole conceit of the show is essentially because the, you know, the, the Russians beat us to the moon. It's like all of those sort of like guards and those like cautionary things that NASA sometimes does are a bit out the window in order to kind of keep up with, with the risks that the Russians are taking and stuff. And as a result, there's, you know, a lot of things go wrong because they're pushing timetables faster than, than they would normally in quote real life. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Every side takes shortcuts to be the first instead of working together. And they definitely feel the consequences of all of these things. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They all do. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great cast. I mean, like I've always loved Joel Kinnaman. I loved him when he was, uh, you know, when he was on the killing and, We've, yep. you know, I, I still kind of like his RoboCop, even though. Me too, man. I wanted to see a sequel to that. I did. I did too. Like, I thought that was actually like, you know, I mean, it, it's not as, like, it's not classic RoboCop. Like, I understand why it kind of, it kind of disappeared into the ether and, and stuff. You know, it, it may not have kind of struck the notes that people needed it to strike from nostalgia's perspective and stuff. But I thought that was actually quite a cool take on that character and yeah. a good, interesting movie in general. And, uh, but it's been really awesome seeing him play, you know, he's great as Rick flag and stuff, but it's been awesome seeing him play this character because it kind of feels like this is the character of a lifetime for him. You know, he seems to dig it, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell he has a really solid handling on who Ed Baldwin is. And like, I feel like I'm never surprised necessarily with what Ed does in like kind of a good way because he is just, which is funny because he's sort of the risk taker of the group, but. And the, and the angry one often, right? Yeah, but he, for sure. Yeah. Like he's very reactive and emotional and stuff, but, but I kind of at the same time and like not always surprised, I'm not very often surprised by him. And so it's fun when he does surprise me yeah. um, because he has evolved as a character and he does see things differently than he did when he was a, when he was a test pilot and. He definitely gets some good character moments in the back half of the season when he learns yeah. some things or encounters some things and, you know, so, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. cool. There's some, uh, there's some great stuff in there, but amazing cast though. A lot of people that probably people haven't, you know, seen before, obviously some familiar faces, but yeah, a lot of actors that people probably aren't super familiar with, but it's one of those casts where like they should be winning Emmys left and right for this thing, but I don't think, you know, I don't think it, it has just because it, it doesn't quite have like the buzz around it that I think it probably deserves. But yeah, I, I did but, happily see some more, like a lot of takes when this finale came out saying, Oh, exactly what you and I say. Like, this is a show you got to be watching. The finale was awesome. All this kind of stuff. So yeah, I think see, the season two finale and this season I, are at least earning more buzz online, which is exciting. Yeah. So hopefully it keeps growing. Yeah, I hope so too. I would love it if more people watched about the show and we could nerd out about it. Cause it, uh, I think it deserves it. Apple TV just fucking killing it. I like right? a year ago, yeah. We used to talk about it as like no one was watching, you know, C was like the big thing that they were pushing. And like, I don't know anybody that watches C, but like some of these things recently, like Succession, Ted Lasso, this. I mean, Ted Lasso is not just like recently, but. Severance. Yeah, Severance. Um, oh, yeah, I said Succession because I was talking yeah. earlier. But Severance, yeah. And then uh, like Mythic Quest. Like oh, those four shows that. are yeah. some of my favorite freaking shows. And kind of just like Apple TV suddenly become kind of this like dark horse for me of, of I'm watching it's, a lot more stuff on it. It's, I mean, it's, it's turning into that now. I feel like each network, regardless of size has like four or five or six like flagship must watch shows. Yeah. And even like, you know, Netflix for all their well publicized layoffs and, and losing subscribers. I mean, they just had umbrella Academy three stranger things four and the Sandman, which to me are like all three home runs. So I'm like, yeah, wow, like sure. that's cool. And HBO max were, you know, 
same thing, like Succession and Westworld and the new Game of Thrones coming out, like big shows from all these networks. It's crazy. And then Paramount yeah. Plus, same thing. Halo, not so much, but Star Trek. And um, what's the um, uh, Mayor of Kingstown, which Renner, oh, which yeah. I love. It's like really good shows. So it's it's cool to see. I mean, this is the content overflow in TV now. It's always premium. Because yeah. there's eight networks. We're getting eight sets of premium content, man. Not even yeah. getting – Prime, of course, has their own thing too. But um, Yeah, I'm curious to see that League of Their Own show. Um, I know that came out this past week, but did you, did you watch on Prime the Josh Brolin show? It was called the uh, what's it, the what's it called the Outer or something. Uh, uh, I didn't. It's very Lost like. I think Outer Range. Outer Range. Thank you. Yes, that was interesting. I think you should watch that. Um, oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, if anything Lost like, I'll. Uh, yeah, it's got that vibe. Um, Oof! Well, losing uh, me. I thought, you, I thought you were sleeping. I, I'm about <laughs> to. Gone. I'm watching day shift, but I was about to be sleeping. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just called, we called Kofi out of the fucking ether to answer the outer range. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't um, mind okay. that. I, sorry, I don't to keep going on streaming shows, but I, I didn't mind the Chris Pratt one either. The Terminal List, whatever it's called, it's very like you know for all the controversy and Chris Pratt and the <laughs> politics behind it, but the. Uh, it's kind of a, a take on Punisher in a way, sort of thing. So, but I'm curious if you guys watch that, what what you think of it as in like an action show? Yeah, I have to check it out. I, th- I feel like my mom watched that the other day and was telling me to watch it, <laughs> of all things. But um, all right, yeah. well, yeah, we can wrap it up. Um, I'm glad we got to nerd out a little bit about it for all mankind. I've been wanting to talk about that for like freaking three yeah, hours. yeah. Um, all right, well, that'll do it for this week of Podcast X. Um, I am Ben Kendrick. You can find me at Ben Kendrick on Twitter. Check out what I'm doing over at Rise at 7. Check out my movie reviews at ScreenRant.com. My co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys, K-E-Y-E-S. And then uh, in about a week or so, I should have some cool footage of me flying a stunt plane and doing some crazy shit. So look forward <laughs> to that on Screen Rant sometime in the next week, I hope. I am definitely looking forward to that. Um, special guest, Kofi Outlaw. I will be over on comicbook.com and you can catch my other show, Comic Book Nation, every Friday. Uh, And you can subscribe and catch us over at uh, our newly launched Comic Book Nation YouTube channel as well. So I'm a YouTuber now. Hey. Influencer. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No. Pretty dope. (laughs) Pretty dope. Um, All right. Well, that'll do it for Podcast X. We'll uh, see you guys next week. Mm